When people talk about getting married, they often say, I can't wait to wake up next to you every day for the rest of my life. But when you're marrying someone in the military, that statement doesn't necessarily apply. On this episode of the Quick and the Dirty podcast, we're going to chat with one of the strongest women you've probably ever heard from. Kim Mills is a blogger, a mom of three, and a military wife of 18 years. And we're going to talk about living through her husband's four deployments while on active duty We're also going to find out why the most challenging time for their marriage is when her husband's home. The Quick and the Dirty Podcast with Hillary Welch and Sandra Plagakis. So, Sandra, it would seem that I'm I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah, (laughs) I am in trouble in my relationship. Last week on the podcast, we talked about bathroom stuff. Yeah. And, and by the way, can I just ma- say I'm still scarred from that conversation? <laughs> and the fact that people I know heard that conversation and then keep re- reliving that horrible conversation, I, I don't, uh, there's more? <laughs> you mean about some stranger using my bathroom? Yeah, that's right. Well, in that podcast, it may have come out that when my boyfriend travels, he gets uncomfortable about uh, the idea of using a public bathroom. So he often carries Imodium. Okay. That's right. Like, but you said like crazy amounts of emodium because he just does everything he can not like to avoid the public right. restroom. Got it? Yeah. Well, it turns out he listened to the podcast. <gasps> the one time he and listens. <laughs> I think each week he checks in and he listens just to our quick to make sure I didn't talk about him, which I always talk about him. But he decides how cranky he is about what I said, and I got a text midweek that was like. Uh, passive aggressively mentioning that he heard me talking about Imodium oh. on the podcast. Oh. And uh, I'm in trouble. And I've been hiding from text messages <laughs> since he said that. <laughs> what's his What's his issue? I mean, it's not his issue. It's my issue. I know it's kind of a personal thing. Do you want someone talking about your bathroom habits that isn't you? Um. No. <laughs> as far as anybody knows, I'm a princess and I don't even have those parts. So I would be mortified if anyone discussed me in a way that this was not. This is a total lie because I've heard some pretty terrifying, terrifying moments about you. Uh, I remember Graceland being oh my defiled. God. Oh, my God. Why would you bring that up? Why would you bring that up? <laughs> Graceland was a lifetime low for me. What happened? And oh my God, you think you think Elvis had been sullied enough? But no, no, Elvis already did what he needed to do to his own toilet. But I had to go in and finish the job. <laughs> Jesus, H Christ, that is! I can't even believe you. Were, I had buried that story into the deep, deep recesses of my psyche. I put it in a little box. Box. I locked it up. I put it away. And you remember? Okay, so now I feel like we need to just give a little bit of information. We took no, a girls trip no, to Nashville. Sandra decided to drive to go see Graceland with a friend of ours and it didn't go well after a night of drinking. Uh, yeah. And but keep in mind though, guys, that I'm a wine drinker, but in Nashville, I became a full on cowgirl and I was like <laughs> drinking draft beer and my stomach is just not, it just can't handle all that draft uh. beer. So the, by the time we went to Graceland, I was, I was, 
I was backed up like I can't even. I don't even want to. <laughs> okay, we don't have to go into any more details. Like, well, it was a problem. I, it was a problem. And then when I went, I was so there was three of us actually. Uh, Deb, shout out to Deb, and my other friend Angie. And the two of them, I had to confess to them that I was like in a really bad way. And they were public, you know, they're public restrooms at the at the at the start of Graceland. And I'm like, you have to be lookout. You cannot let anybody in here. I can't do what I need to do. I can't. I, I can't have witnesses to this. And I, I actually had them like. Uh, like stand in front of the bathroom so i and I, you know the rest i can't yeah, it was bad just, uh, okay so back to my back story to your boyfriend who is now mortified. he's super mad that i shared his bathroom <laughs> habits on our podcast and now like i'm in the doghouse and how do you handle when you've done something wrong at home like when you know your tim is pissed off at you do you hide or do you confront it i confront it and i pretend i'm sweet right and like i i do everything that i know that i'm not so that he thinks i'm adorable like i'll do sorry <laughs> and i'll do like baby boy <laughs> sorry and then i'll right. offer sexual favors and then to get out of it he'll forgive me <laughs> yeah and that's how we do it yeah. So he confronted me about it. And my response was, love you. <laughs> Hillary sent me the text. And I saw it. I was like, oh, this is this is not good. Was that the last time he spoke to you? Yeah. No, it was not. That was like three days ago. Oh, girl. We've said like very formal, just like informational texts since then. He's not really mad. No, he's probably just trying to make me feel guilty. And it worked. So he's got he's got my number. He goes for the guilt. Oh, that and it works on you. Oh, I know. I didn't sleep that night. Aww. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's human. And here I am talking about his poop pills again. So here we go. You're really not helping yourself, are you? <laughs> not not even remotely. But I mean, you did like that wasn't the worst story you could have told. I mean, I'm sure you, you could tell way worse. Go ahead. <laughs> and over. Do you ever worry about saying things that your family doesn't want you to say? Because that's part of this podcast is we're so real and we share so much about our own lives and what a disaster they truly are. Yeah. And often the people in our lives are the funniest part. Um, I worry about that. Yes. But, you know, I, I've been a broadcaster for 25 years and over the years I've been in a lot of trouble over stories I've told on the air. You know, uh, my kids used to be heavily entrenched in the hockey world, for example. So I tell a story at a party I was at or someone said something, something funny happened. And then people would hear it, even though if you even if you don't mention names or places, they know it's them. And that's enough to get you into the doghouse. However, you specifically did mention your boyfriend was pretty specific. (laughs) So I could see, you know, if you just tell a roundabout story about someone, but you don't name names and you're pretty vague about where it happened. Right. No one can fault you for telling a good story. Right. Well, I don't think so. But I feel like he knows that this is our job. This is what we do. And when you sign on to love everything that is awesome about Hillary or be my friend, you know that it's unless you say don't share this, it's open season. Fair, fair enough. Um, that's you know what, and that's fair enough. It, I get that it comes with the territory, Hillary, but it all so depends on one very important thing, and that's intent. 
When you tell right. the story, if, if it's mean-spirited, I don't care who you are, all bets are off. You, you could risk a friendship. But if, oh, yeah. Yeah. but if you're telling a story and it's funny and you tell it with love and affection, even though it might embarrass them, I feel like you could save yourself a little bit there, you know? <laughs> you say, and uh, you told that story with love and affection. So I don't yeah, think he could Yeah, because it's super cute. He's adorable. He's like, he's more worried about being gross than I am. And he's a man. So I feel like he gets points from every woman listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most guys aren't right. like that. So the fact exactly. that he's consci- it tells me that he's very conscientious <laughs> and loving. I'm trying to help you, girl. <laughs> oh, it's really awkward <laughs> when you're in awkward. trouble. Like, do you hide? Do you suck up? Like, I, do I make a steak dinner this weekend? Yeah. What do I do? Make a steak dinner this weekend and, you know, you, and follow it up with something. <laughs> Are you saying it's steak and a blowjob weekend? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say that, but I didn't, I didn't know if you could say the word. But now that we're talking about blowjobs, you got to do <laughs> Go right ahead. Do what you got to do. Sometimes. I know. (laughs) Birthdays and Christmas. (laughs) All right. What's going on with you? Okay. Well, you want to talk about an awkward thing? This is uh, now I hope this doesn't come off as mean spirited because it's not mean spirited. This is this is the truth. And I I say it with the understanding that this could get me in a lot of hot water. Uh, Anthony is my boss. You know him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is getting married next year to a lovely young woman named Chelsea. Lovely couple. Love them to bits, both of them. Oh, yeah. I met them when we were in yeah. uh, Antigua they're last so year. Cute. He, they're so cute. They're lovey-dovey. He's always petting her. He's very. They're so affectionate and adorable. Fine, They're right? a good-looking couple, too. They're, like, she's super pretty. Yeah. And I mean, Anthony, we're a co-worker, so I'll just say you're okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Good-looking couple. Affectionate, loving. They're going to have a beautiful marriage, beautiful wedding, blah, blah, blah. Word on the street is that they want me to emcee their wedding. So I've heard it on the street now that he really wants me to emcee the wedding because she likes me. And I, get, I, don't, I can't even explain why because they're around a lot of really talented radio people. Mm-hmm. I have now passive aggressively gone on my radio show to talk about how don't ever ask me to emcee your wedding because that is the one job I will never take. Ever. What is it about emceeing that you're so afraid of? It's, we do it all the time. It's someone you know. There'd be literally no prep. Uh, because... I would, I would, I could emcee anything, but I cannot handle something as personal as your wedding day because I feel like I would blow it. You know, I've seen people bomb at weddings before, and there, and I, that would be that's the most unforgettable thing I've ever seen is people bomb, tell bad jokes at a wedding, and you're like, ugh. I would tend my tendency, and I know myself would be to roast you. I would turn it. And in. if that doesn't go over well with the family, you're in deep. That's right. And I had a friend who emceed a wedding last summer who told me the same thing, that she emceed this wedding and everybody said, well, you got to do this. You can't say this. You can't talk to that one. This one isn't talking to this one. So you can't address that that table. There's too many rules when you emcee a wedding. And the thing about emceeing a wedding is you don't have to do much roasting. That's the that's the part that is supposed to be the best man and the maid of honor and the people that are really involved in their lives. As an MC, you do light comedy and you make sure everything happens on time. Have you ever seen me work work the stage? Uh, yeah, I've seen you work a room before. I'm, um, I'm a roaster. I don't do light comedy. <laughs> but you're not supposed to spend a lot of time talking as an MC. I get that. I just, I feel like the the pressure is too much. I can't I, I just don't want to be responsible for ruining someone's wedding day. Now that it's in my head, I'm like, well, if I just don't emcee your wedding day, then I can't ruin it. <laughs> I have another theory, Sandra. What is it? <laughs> Am You're I going to like, like this? It. Oh, come on, Hillary. <laughs> come 
Come on. Okay. I don't know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. You may get the impression that Sandra likes to be the center of attention. <laughs> and the problem with emceeing somebody's wedding is this wedding is in no way about you. Well, oh, I oh, <laughs> that this is interesting. Proceed. So you think <laughs> it's going to be uncomfortable because it's it's not your chance to be the center of attention. It's about them. What makes you think I can't give that up? I mean, I've been to a million weddings and haven't made that about me. And the fact that they're giving me a microphone means I can get five minutes. So I would like that, wouldn't I? In theory, wouldn't I, just, I like five minutes? But the jokes aren't to make you look good. They're to make them look good. Oh, so you're saying I can't give. <laughs> I get it now. I understand. What you're, so you're just saying I don't. I mean, I'm not, I'm you'd not make that wedding your bitch. I would. But that's not the point. I give it a steak and a blowjob. That's what I do. By the <laughs> That's how I do that wedding. Uh, so you think I can't handle doing it because I can't make it all about me. Well, you have to do it to their specifications, not yours. I can't I can't do that. You know when you you know when you host an event or you do an event, I don't I don't make it a big deal because I have I don't have a pony in the race. There's no pony right. in the race for me. I'm a hired gun, I come in, I do it, and if you don't like it, I feel bad about it for five seconds and then I move on with my life. Right. Because, right? you know, we've all I've bombed a million times. I have bombed. I've been heckled. <laughs> I have, have been insulted. I have, have you got the ooh. I had a woman about three years ago at an event in the middle of the event I was emceeing. I, 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 I handed the microphone over to the, the guest speaker of the night and I was standing side stage and a woman came up to me and told me off in front of 300 people because saying what? I said the word goddamn in my opener. And she, I, I, I said, God damn. And she, I think, was a, a God-fearing woman. <laughs> and she didn't like that I used God damn in my opening. And uh, I, it, like we had like a huge... Did you come back and burn her later? Please tell no, me I was gonna. Did. I'm going to let God take care of her. <laughs> <laughs> I burned at events too. But sometimes when you burn, like when you crash and burn at a wedding, that becomes part of the funny memory of the day. Because everybody has this idea that your wedding has to be perfect, but it's always the disaster moments that are the most hilarious. Okay. I just, I really would rather not be a disaster moment. <laughs> I just don't want that for them. I don't want, I don't want to embarrass myself in front of my boss, in front of my coworkers, and then just like ruin their wedding. That's, that's really, I think, my fear. Or maybe it is about me. I can't, I can't, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to my therapist about it, but I'm, I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. And, but, but really, Hillary, I'm going out of my way to make them fully fundamentally understand I'm a no bueno on this whatsoever. No good. Are no you bueno. nervous you're going to get too trashed and not be able to do the job? I'm always nervous anytime I do anything in life that I'm going to get too trash. But it's, it isn't, I mean, I, I've done like, I've gone to big, big Greek weddings and Italian weddings. And they're really like, usually they hire a DJ to do that stuff. And they don't do big speeches at those European weddings. Mm -hmm. We tend to not have big speeches. So um, I don't know. What was the question again? <laughs> Are you going to get trashed? Are you trashed right now? Oh, my God, Hillary. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just thinking, when do you do the speeches? It depends when the speeches happen. Okay. So an MC's job is not really to speak. When the crowd comes in, you welcome everybody to their table. You let people know what the timing of the night is. You let them know how you know the bride and groom. Slight little story. And then it's just your job to call up the next people and make jokes to cover off things that maybe don't go well. 
So it's you're really just doing observation of the night. You're not doing a big long like maid of honor speech for the couple. I still I still don't like it. <laughs> I don't like oh I just don't like it. I don't want to be I like to go and be a guest. I would be stressed about it. Uh I yeah, I don't like now, it. Now would you be I'm offended out. if they had asked somebody else first though? Uh and you weren't the first choice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do it, but I'm really happy I'm the first choice. I, I And then whoever gets the job, you know I'm going to be a dick. I'll be like, I turned it down. <laughs> yeah, good job. Good job. You're doing a great job. I'm just going to be over here having a great time knowing that I turned it down first. <laughs> okay, bye. Yeah, and then you're going to be that a-hole who turns down emceeing the wedding, but then make sure you do a really long speech with the clink the glass and you got to say a couple of words. Would anyone like to say a couple of words about about our couple tonight? Yes, yes, I would. Let me tell you about how we met. Everybody have a seat for a second. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... uh, we're going to call this one a draw, okay? Because I, I don't really fully understand how my mind works. I'll, I'll delve into what you said a little further, but I don't know. Uh, but can I just ask you something quite honestly? And I don't want to yes. get into like a weird, a weird rabbit hole of emotions right now, but that's what we do. Okay. okay. And I, I know we've talked about your wedding one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it ever happens. Okay. Yeah. We're st- currently in a standoff. My boyfriend has announced that he bought me the best birthday present ever. And I can't believe I'm going to share this because I'm going to be back in the trouble zone. Girl. And I was like, is it a ring? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, then it's the second best birthday present ever. Wow. So that's not a standoff. That's an impasse. <laughs> that's something completely different. I believe standoffs okay, so have back weapons. back to my wedding. Okay, back to never the wedding. Happen. Okay. Honestly, would you ask me to be your MC? Is that what, why you're pushing me so hard on this? No, but I just think to say that you'd never do that for anyone, that's a big statement. I think it's an honor. I would much rather be an MC than a bridesmaid. Are you going to ask me to be either one of those things? Because I don't like that either. <laughs> Where are we going with this, Hillary? No, you're, you're at table 13 in the back. <laughs> right by the kitchen door. Perfect. Maybe by the bar, but I'd be terrified. By the bathroom. Okay. Well, I feel like a lot of truths have been said in the last 30 okay, seconds. I have another question. All right. Now, you guys are pretty tight at your office. Yeah. But is it weird that an employee is being asked to be a part of that wedding? It's not like your longtime family friends. Right. Like, that's weird to me. I don't even know if I'm going to invite my boss to my wedding. Um. I think, yeah, we are pretty tight, uh, to be honest with you. And um, is it weird? Maybe, but because of the line of work we're in, he has a building full of potential MCs to work with. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, otherwise, yes, maybe. Yeah. You think you have dirt. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) If any of his friends have to do it, you're screwed. Oh, my God. That's right. So, yeah, I, I, I am quite honored that they would think of me first but then and then and then i would be insulted if they thought of anybody else i'd be like whatever now didn't want to do it but now i can say then i could say whatever didn't want to do it anyway Uh, (laughs) but maybe it's about my own my my own issues and i I just don't want to be responsible for ruining anyone's wedding day because i know how much planning goes into the day i know how much money is being spent i know how special it is i don't know that i could rise to the occasion your wedding pardon me who emceed your I wedding? I didn't have an MC. I, I, I eloped. <laughs> Did you not know that? No. That's right. I eloped. My husband and I went to City Hall, Mississauga City Hall, and then we had a dinner for 20 people and we kept it super cash. Yeah. That's really sweet. Well, 
Is it? <laughs> were you just poor? <laughs> we were poor and we decided we had a choice to make because we didn't have a lot were of money. Were you pregnant? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I had sex for the first time on my wedding night. Isn't that the right answer? <laughs> wink, wink. As far as Hi, my Mom. father knows. <laughs> no, we uh, we had a choice to make. We were going to spend it on a wedding or a house, and we invested the money on a down payment in a house. That's nice. Yeah, and my dad, it, the, like the dinner was a couple grand, and my dad foot the bill, and it was great. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of my plan. I don't want a big wedding. No. Mostly because I'll never be able to have one. Why? Because he would never go in for that. Hmm. Interesting. What What's a big wedding to you? 200, 100? Like, what's a big wedding? Like, anything with bridesmaids and, yeah. like, a hall and all that stuff. It, that's not our style. That, okay. But, but it doesn't need to be. When Once you get married and you're in it, you realize the wedding doesn't matter. It. I mean, it's a nice moment for you and your family. But, you know, it... it, it People just up the ante all the time for the wedding, and they don't need to. It, it should be about the marriage. Don't put too much stock in the wedding or the MC, for that matter. <laughs> well, good. Then you're hired. Ah, crap. <laughs> crap. <laughs> Love you. Love you, too. So what's it like being married to someone who is in the military? You go long periods of time without seeing your spouse, and obviously that comes with a lot of challenges. Today, we are going to talk to a military wife who supports other military spouses through the website She Is Fierce. I love this name. Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast, Kim Mills. Yay, Kim. Welcome. Thanks so much hey. for being on the podcast for this episode. It's really exciting to talk some, to some who's living this reality because it's it's not very common. So I'm in Ottawa right now, so obviously we have a lot of military families out of uh, CFB, Petawawa, and there's just an influx of military families constantly, and there's a lot of, in my neighborhood in particular, I feel like there's a lot of military families who are coming in, who are coming out, and, you know, you hear the stories of life as a military spouse. How long have you been a military wife for? Um, it's uh, almost 18 years. That's a, that's a long time. And how long were you, uh, how old were you when you guys got together? We met uh, in junior high school. Wow. So we were 13. Do you like that? I'm, I'm not fishing for your age, by the way. <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. I just went. <laughs> I am 37. That is okay. Yeah, he's an army brat. So his dad got posted back from Germany to Calgary, which is where I was living. And uh, I met him in school when we were in grade seven. And, uh, yeah, we got married when we were 19. And uh, that was in May. It'll be 18 years ago. That's just incredible. And for how long during that period of time have you guys been apart? Oh, I have no idea. Um, There are some years that uh, we've had lots of time together. And by lots, I mean, like, more than half the year. And uh, there are some years where it's only been maybe you know, a combined, you know, three or four months somewhere. It, it kind of depends on what he's doing and where he goes, but it, it changes. Yeah. What is the cycle of uh, of his military career, meaning how often will he go on a tour? And how many has he done so far? Yeah, so that's really dependent on kind of what uh, the current climate is in the world. Um, and it's really kind of individual to a specific um, member. I mean, some members have, um, everybody's kind of different depending on where they work. And so my, uh, my husband went to Afghanistan right after 9-11 in 2002. Um, and then he went back in 
04, 05, and then he went back in 07, 08. And then we had some time off of the overseas deployments for a while because the uh, the combat in Afghanistan ended, and that's kind of his job. So um, we then were posted to Kingston, and then he deployed on uh, Task Force Iraq in 2014-15. So that's four deployments overseas. Do you have children? We do. So I have a 10-year-old boy, a daughter who will be 13 next week, and a 16-year-old son. So you're not busy at all? (laughs) (laughs) Not even a little bit, no. They're at a lovely age where they are pretty self, uh, they're pretty independent, so uh, it works well for me. I'm much better at parenting kids that go to school all day than I was toddlers. So this is my this is my good parenting time. When you got together with your spouse um, and you knew that he was a military brat and you knew that you were marrying into a life of being a military spouse in your mind, was it a romantic thing? And you thought, wow, you know, he's going to go off and fight for our country and I'm going to stay home. Did you have um, any ill conceived notions about what your life was going to be like, you know, reality versus fantasy? I had literally none. I, I had no concept of what the military looked like at all. Um, his dad had retired when he was in high school, so and I had no idea what his dad did or what that would look like for them. And I, uh, my closest relatives that were military were grandparents in, in World War II. So I really, nothing. And you have to remember that when I married him, that was before 9-11. So the military wasn't, you know, the front topic of conversation. Neither was conflict or war. Um, the deployments that were happening were peacekeeping to, to Bosnia um, and other places like that. Um, so no, I had no idea at all. Um, everything kind of completely changed anyway for what military uh, family life looked like in 9-11. So um, yeah, no, no idea. I thought that the most impact the military was going to have on my marriage was I had one of those cool sword um, things that you walk underneath with the guys holding the swords at the wedding. I had one of those. <laughs> like in an officer and a gentleman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a royal wedding. You get to walk under the sword art. That's right. So I you're... figured that was like the most important thing that the military was going to offer my married life. With that sword <laughs> oh, my God, Kim. So you're young, you're married, and your husband gets deployed for the first time. Did you have kids at this point? And, and what was going through your head when you said goodbye for that first time? Uh, I was uh, 20 and pregnant. I was pregnant with my first um, when he went to Afghanistan the first time. Um, it was, I mean, every deployment comes along really differently. And that one came along, you know, right after 9-11, he was immediately put on notice. And we kind of waited and waited. We thought it was going to be the next day for two months. <laughs> and uh, by the time he left uh you know, we knew it had been coming for for that long, but at the same time, I mean, I didn't really. I had just moved to Edmonton by myself. Um, I lived in this tiny little uh, PMQ. I have to watch my language. I didn't. <laughs> I lived in this tiny little PMQ, uh, like 500 square feet, um, and I had just uh, got a job, and that was really all that I had going on for myself. So. Yeah, it was. I used kind of you take them to well for some of the deployments, you took them to this. A uh, big uh, gymnasium-looking parade place uh, on base, and you say goodbye, and uh, 
the bus takes him away. And uh, um, we kind of stood there for a really long time until after they were gone. And then you head home and you just kind of keep going until you hear from them. So, Do you know how long they're going to be gone for? Uh, sometimes. That time, no. That time, because it was, again, that first deployment right after 9-11, we had no idea what 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 was going to happen we didn't know if there was they were jumping right into a war zone we didn't know if it was going to be two months or six months or a year we didn't know there was a lot of unknowns for that and it was just because it was so chaotic after 9-11 we really didn't have any idea what it was going to look like in later deployments sometimes you do know and sometimes you don't so for that particular deployment the very first one how long was he gone for it was six months um just a little bit over six months i think um there was no, uh, we call the middle of tour uh, leave. So when the guys get to either come home or they get a visit, get to go visit their uh, spouse or family somewhere, um, it's called HLTA. And I'm trying to think home leave travel allowance. Um, there wasn't one for that deployment. So it was six months, um, but I didn't, there was no, uh, there was no visit in between. So it was just a straight six month deployment. And did he make it home for the birth of the baby? He did. Uh, we didn't think he would, um, but uh, he came home, uh, I think, the end of July, beginning of August, sometime in there, 16 years ago. <laughs> and uh, my son was born, he, he turned 21 just a couple of days after he got back from Afghanistan. And then um, his son was born um, just a few days after that. I bet a lot of people ask you this question, but I have to ask him, what's the hardest part about being a military <laughs> wife? What was the hardest part of that six months? Um, of that six months or being a military wife in general? That six well, I, I guess they work together, but I, I guess just that first six months. Uh, that first six months, I want to say that just the unknown, you're getting used to the fact that you, you just have to go day by day on what's happening to them and, and the fact that you don't know what's going on and uh um, this was, you know, before any kind of internet communication or anything like that. So there was, uh, you know, every once in a while you would get this satellite phone call, um, that has a delay. So you would always end up just talking over each other and, uh, and that was it. So there was no pictures. There was no, he literally hadn't seen me. He left when I was like, whatever that was almost three months pregnant. And then he came uh, home right before I gave birth. So he literally hadn't even seen what I looked like pregnant when he, uh, when he walked off the bus to see me. Um, yeah, so it, I think it's just the unknown. You don't you don't really have a lot of communication. And that's changed over the years. But that first appointment, that was, I think, the big one. i got to ask about that satellite phone. Um, do you have other people listening in on your phone calls? Because I get, I, I get that it's a satellite phone and it sounds like you're having like a CNN conversation. Have you ever heard those? Those are brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really what it is. Yeah, I don't Over think that it's, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't <laughs> think anyone else is listening in on the conversation. Maybe they are. They tell the guys, you know, what they can and can't talk about. Um, there was the, the, the voice that would come on because they had these little cards that gave them exactly, I think it was 10 or 15 minutes. And um, as it would wind down, they would, they would cut into the little voice, the electronic voice would kind of cut in to tell you how much time you had left. And then in the last like 10 seconds or something, she would count down as you're trying to talk um so yeah it's just it's an awkward way to have a conversation it's impossible to have an argument uh because you just you, you have to sit there and wait i think it's like a two second delay so you start talking and the other, then you hear what the other person had just said and yeah it's it's 
not the ideal way to hold to hold conversations. Yeah. So you tried to have an argument on a satellite phone call? Oh, I've had lots of arguments <laughs> on satellite phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, and no. over to you, Roger, over you to you, get, over and out. That's where you is, get is it like awkward like that? that? You know when someone's done talking is, and you get used to actually having to do it, which is, you sound really ridiculous. But um, yeah, and I will. And usually they're very one-sided because at that point he pretty much doesn't care what I want. He'll just agree to anything just so that he can get off the phone in a good mood. So, um, And over the years, like what I'm willing to talk about and depending on what he's doing and where he is, I mean, sometimes you really just uh, keep the phone call no matter what's going on in your life to, um, to just, you know, say you're happy to hear from them and you hope everything's okay. And sometimes you have a little bit more leeway to tell them all the things that are going wrong while they're not there, which is entirely their fault. So, Kim, you get very used to living your life and living <laughs> your marriage right. at a distance. But what happens when he's home for long periods of time? You're used to running your own world and, and dealing with the children in your own way. Is it difficult to get used to him being back? Uh, so the um, it's called reintegration is the phase after um, a member returns from a deployment or an extended absence. Um I find it usually harder uh, than the deployment, and uh, it uh, it depends again on the stage of life that you're at, the type of deployment um, the member was on. Um, for Afghanistan, a lot of the times those reintegrations were very him focused, um, just because of what he'd been through while he was there. It was a lot of time just making sure that he was able to adjust to being back home. Um, Later, I mean, for Task Force Iraq, his deployment was a little bit more low-key, uh, in which case it really started to become more of just making sure that we know how to run a family again together instead of uh, apart. It's it's certainly not, I mean, you watch those YouTube videos and uh, you see the guys come back. I mean, you can watch those until you're dehydrated, you know, all the guys coming back and surprising their, their families. Um and that is a wonderful moment when it works out. But uh, that those months afterwards um, are usually uh, not super uh, romantic. <laughs> and, uh, and it really just is about putting the work in. And there's a ton of resources out there for military families to be able to kind of tap into to, to help them work through uh, what reintegration looks like. But uh, it's definitely... Um, yeah, it's one of the more challenging aspects to a deployment is, you know, you learn to do six months, eight months, whatever it happens to be a year by yourself. And then you have to adjust to um, not only you adjusting to him being back in the home, but him adjusting to any changes that have been made and trying to think about the right way to start helping out without imposing uh, until that can become a partnership again. And, and that can take a really long time. Well, that yeah, you know, they come from a war zone. He's just been in a war zone. He comes home and then he's getting yelled at for leaving the toilet yeah. seat up. You know what I mean? Two different worlds entirely. I can only imagine how Well, yeah, because I would imagine would that you're you, so used to running things your way and it's the one thing you can control. So then to have to give that up to somebody else must be a, a huge challenge. It, it is. You know what? It's, um, again, for Afghanistan, it was, I feel like it was a whole different dynamic than it is for other um, other absences, because I mean, reintegration happens even for, you know, the three month 
courses that they go on and things that don't necessarily have the combat feel to them. Um, Afghanistan kind of added that whole different dynamic where he had to reintegrate from um, what his situation looked like. And uh, he is a combat uh, combat armed soldier. And so his deployment um, was, you know, had that, that kind of element to him. And so um, sometimes reintegration is really a lot of um, helping that soldier readjust to society. Um, I found that it was actually more difficult for me when it wasn't um, because the focus wasn't on him anymore. The focus was on me um, making sure that uh, I was the one that was having the hard time. You know, he came back and, um, and it wasn't so hard to him. He didn't have a lot of adjusting to do. And without, you know, getting that chance to help him readjust, all of a sudden everybody's looking at me being like, how are you adjusting? I was like, oh, well, now that someone's finally asked me, not awesome. Right. And what are the major thing, like the challenges that you found adjusting to? Um, you know what, you, uh, it, it changed as, uh, as my kids grew up. So, um, obviously for, for the first deployment, it was, you know, just having a baby and I don't recommend trying to add a newborn into reintegration. Um, so that was kind of the biggest challenge there. And then for the other two Afghanistan deployments, I had very small children. I actually had my third child in the middle of the third deployment. So there was this, element of as soon as he came home I didn't actually really care who he was he was just a person that was going to help me around the house and so I was just grateful he was home because somebody was there um you know to take a baby and help me feed and get help me get kids to school and just another adult in the house that could take some of the responsibilities um now that my kids are older this last deployment I really realized that uh I had to appreciate him coming home because of him because the truth was that I can handle it when he's gone because my kids are older and I'm not quite as overwhelmed. And then it's this whole element of trying to figure out um, how to add him back in my life and realize, you know, all the things that I appreciate just about him as a person when I don't necessarily just desperately need him to take a child. Um, and, and it's been, so I think that, I don't know, as you like any marriage to anyone, like as you age in your life, situations change you realize different things about yourself and uh, I think for me you know the hardest parts of reintegration are really just uh, giving him back elements of control in decision making Um, I get really really used to just being able to be out and be like oh we'll just do this or I'll change my mind and decide we're not going to be home for dinner or we're not going to do this and then and I don't necessarily think to ask anyone else. And I can still do that even when he's been home for a long time because my brain is just wired to just make those decisions. And my husband is, you know, kind of a, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but a man who likes to, to make some decisions and, and be heard in a house and like he should be and uh, like we both should be. And I don't often give him the chance to be heard because a lot of times I just make those choices for us. So. Did you find that when you were raising your children and often left alone, does resentment build that that becomes fully your responsibility, even though you understand what he's going through over there? Sure. I mean, my husband has always been pretty amazing um, in terms of, you know, always recognizing um, that he felt that it was hard for me at home and, uh, and never taking that. Like, I've never felt too much like that was taken for granted um, which I'm sure made a big difference in how that felt for me back home. But absolutely, I mean, 
when you've got, you know, three kids and two of them are throwing up and, you know, the dog's sick and one of them has to be at a play and the other two are, you know, holding buckets in the car or whatever it happens to be, you know, you sit there for a minute and you're like, this is nice that I'm doing this by yourself. And especially, especially if they call and it's not um, a particularly difficult tour. I've told him that when he went to Afghanistan and even when he would go to the field, when he, um, if, if he's living in the dirt or he's, you know, in a combat zone or he's, I feel like um, we both kind of life isn't going awesome for a lot of that period of time. But uh, when he would call on different types of absences and maybe he's, you know, staying in a hotel in France and I'm at home, you know, dealing with whatever drama is happening with all the children and the family and the car and whatever, um, I have a lot more resentment <laughs> that way. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. What about the kids? I got to ask. We talk about your relationship with your husband and how you handle his absences. How do the Um, kids handle it? The first few, they were really young. And uh, I don't know that um, they really understood much of it. Uh, I actually find that uh, for me, when kids are really young, the deployment is a lot harder on the parent, like on the the parent at home than on the children, because the children will just get into their own routine eventually. Um, whereas, uh, when the kids uh, are older, um, the deployments become a lot harder on the children because they start to understand, um, what's going on. So, I mean, my kids have adjusted really well. Military life has not, uh, broken them. They've, they're, they're great kids. My oldest son just started his enlistment to the reserves. So he obviously doesn't have a lot of resentment towards the military, um, they certainly uh, have a rough go for a little bit when dad first leaves anywhere he goes. And a lot of that, I think, stems from just that intense drama when they were younger where those deployments were really a scary time. Um, and even when he, you know, when he went on task force Iraq, uh, my oldest son had a really, really difficult time with saying goodbye and worrying about him. And no matter how many times we would tell him, you know, this deployment isn't the same you know, the danger isn't the same. Your dad, you know, he's not in the same kind of situation. He really couldn't understand that to him. Everything um, seemed like Afghanistan and uh, and was really, really scary. So, um, but you know what? They they adjust to their dad being gone. He's actually uh, in uh, Wainwright on exercise right now. Um, when he goes for a few weeks or whatever, I don't even think they they notice. <laughs> well, they notice, but I don't think it really bothers them all that much. They barely <laughs> kind of really recognize that he's leaving. They're happy when he's back. But Well, Kim, I have teenagers and I don't even think they they even yeah, know yeah, that I'm exactly, home at right? any given time. <laughs> I just, I'm just there to throw, yeah, right. I throw raw yeah. meat into their room and that's all I'm good for. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that... Uh, sorry, can I ahead. ask... Yeah, so yeah. we're having our it's CNN like moment right now. <laughs> yeah, I know, all over again. You go um, ahead. I, said, I just, I, as they've gotten older now, especially, you know, as this has always been their reality, they were born into a military family that experienced a lot of deployment. So I just think that this is just what they know. Um, and it would probably be different if he had enlisted, you know, when they were already established or, or later on in life. And the same goes for me. People ask me all the time what it's like being married to a soldier and I don't know any different. So it is what it is. I've got to ask you about the website. She 
I've got to ask you about the website. She is fierce and uh, how it was born and why you decided to put together a support system for other military wives. When did, when did the idea come to you that this would be something really important for other uh, women and men? Um, in, it uh, the never military? did. So I started, uh, I started writing it. Um, I did a couple of interviews right after uh, the third deployment to Afghanistan um, related to Remembrance Day and, and, uh, uh, parenting children uh, during the war in Afghanistan, and one of the the places that interviewed me, they asked if I would create a blog that they could link back to, and I thought that that was really dumb and nobody would read that, but I made it for them, and I ended up actually called it because I was being super passive aggressive. I called it "This is my blog," <laughs> <laughs> and I I wrote a couple of things on there, and once kind of that died down, I ended up just using that site. Um, as a way of telling stories to my family, I have uh, my parents, obviously, they um, don't live here. They don't live too far from us now. They're just uh, south of Calgary. But uh, I have a lot of uh, extended family all over the country. And it was kind of a cool way to tell stories about our life and people could read it. And I like telling stories. So I did. And uh, when we were moving to Kingston in 2012, I actually took a look at the stats and I'd never actually really done that before i'm not very good at running a website and um most of the people who were reading it uh i didn't know as it had grown exponentially and so i uh, i rebranded it i took my you know full legal name off of the url and uh i changed it up just a little bit to to make it um something i felt more comfortable with people i didn't know reading and then made the facebook page uh, and kind of went from there. And I kept writing on it. Um, and then I, I would bump into people in Kingston that had read the blog and uh, and recognized me from it. And it just kind of grew from there. I, I got uh, asked to speak at a gala in Trenton um, in 2014. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I found myself kind of moving around. So whether I even to this day, I don't know that I know exactly what it is about She is Fierce that is um, that draws other people to want to read it. Um, but I kind of really enjoy where it's brought me. I've uh, had the chance to, I think I've been to just over a dozen military bases in the past few years to, to get to meet and speak with uh, military families. And yeah, so it, it really had no... Um, I had no real starts. I didn't intend to to go out there and do what it is, but uh, I'm kind of enjoying where it brought me. So, what does your family think about these strangers reading your stories? <laughs> um, as my kids get older, I'm more conscious of what I put on um, about them, and they usually know. And if it's anything that I think might embarrass them, then I'll ask them ahead of time. Um, they don't really care. Uh, my kids are pretty easygoing. And uh, they, I mean, every once in a while when they're at school, I do appreciate that for the most part, people will always approach me um, when they see me at their school and they will tell me that they recognize my kids uh, from the blog. But I've never had anyone, you know, approach my kids or anything like that. Um, They will uh, sometimes come home and say, so-and-so read this that you wrote, or so-and-so told us, uh, or they'll they'll bring home something, and it's an answer to something that I had written, you know, on the Facebook page, so clearly somebody was reading that. Um, My husband, (laughs) bless him, is uh, 
really, he is okay with it. He really is. Um, he would have gone through life very happily flying under the radar. He's the kind of guy that, uh, um, when I was like, people ask, you know, if this is the kind of thing that he would like doing. And, and I say, you know, one time we came on an accident right after Afghanistan and he, he crawled in a car and he helped this woman and, um, and it was, it was amazing. And uh, watching him was phenomenal. And he did his little statement to the police and then he saw the news van and he, I, like, he was like dust in the wind. Like he's gone. He's not the kind of person that wants to, um, to be seen, but at the same time, he looks at the blog page like that's my thing, and he's really just happy that um, I found something to do. And so he puts up with the fact that a lot of the places that he goes um, now, all of a sudden, people will be like, "Hey, you're that guy from the web page," yeah, and, <laughs> and then he'll, <laughs> yeah, 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 and podcast too. Now, don't forget, Kim. Next level, girl. Here we are. I got to ask, what advice do you give to new military spouses? Let's say I marry uh, a man who's in the military and he's going on his first tour. I know nothing. Um, what advice would you give me? We I, we wrote a little thing on it, and it, there's it really there's so many different aspects to the military. If if I was meeting someone that was marrying someone that did the exact same thing as my husband, because I think we oftentimes lose track of the fact that there's a lot of military with very different experiences. Um, some will never go on deployments and the Navy, I don't even, they do totally different things in the Air Force and, and Ken Softcom. And, and so if someone was marrying, uh, a member that does exactly the same thing as, as my husband, then I guess I, I would have a little bit more advice, but honestly, it would all come from the same advice that other people gave me. Um, most of that is, I think the biggest one is, um, not to blame him for what the army or her, not to blame your spouse for what, uh, the army does. And that's kind of the biggest trap that I see. So when, like, decisions get made in the military, they're just following orders, (laughs) but you can't get mad at them for that? That sort of stuff? You can't get mad when they have to leave. You know, the fires in B.C. just happened, and the guys left on, I don't even know, I think they had four hours notice is what they were supposed to be on, but they got the notice when they were at work, so they left before they came home from work to B.C., and we didn't see them again for a few weeks. And it's easy to get mad and be like, because all of a sudden you have to kind of change your plans to accommodate the fact that they're no longer there. And, uh, and the easiest thing might be to blame them, you know, get mad at them the next time you talk to them for the fact that they had to go, but that wasn't their call. I mean, you can be upset and have a serious conversation about whether or not the military is the right lifestyle for you. But if you've already made that decision, then you can't really get mad at them for doing what their job requires of them. Um, And I think that that's probably you know, the biggest, not that I never do that because I'm sure that I totally do, but (laughs) that's probably the biggest uh, pitfall, I think, because they can't fix it. They can't help it. They can't, you know, this is their job. The same as if they were oil field workers and they had to, you know, go up to Fort McMurray or, you know, whatever it is their job has to be, they have to go and and getting mad at them for having to go isn't going to help anybody. It's just going to make everybody else. You know, Kim, I listen to you and I think to myself, I get anxiety right now just listening because I'm a planner. Uh, I I like to plan my life. And I don't know if, and it must be hard for women to say, okay, my spouse or men, my spouse is gone for, I don't even know how long. How do you, I mean, how do you plant roots in a community when you don't know if you're ever going to be there? I would have anxiety because I'd be like, I want to go see Elton John in two months, but I don't know where I'm going to be in two months. Uh, this would be very problematic for someone like me. Do you have to have a certain temperament, do you think, to be a military spouse? I think it probably helps if you're 
easygoing. I don't, I don't know. I've seen people with all different personalities make an amazing go of this. Um, I'm uh, among a lot of my friends. I laugh because I do all of these things and they sound like, you know, I know what I'm talking about, but I have a group of friends that I hang out with where I'm literally the baby. Like they've all been doing this much longer than me. Um, and they all come from, you know, they all have different temperaments. I would say that, uh, I've just planned my life as though he's not here. And when he is here, it's a bonus. And that way I'm not upset if he's not, um, that's easier now that my kids are older because I don't have to worry about babysitters and that kind of thing. But I found that if there was, I want to go see, I've never said I want to go see Elton John before in my life, but if I wanted to go see Elton John play somewhere um, in two months, then I would plan that babysitter whether I thought he was going to be home or not if I needed one. Because Also, I don't know why way. I brought up Elton John. I just want to say I have no <laughs> idea where that came from. I have no idea why Elton John is on my brain right now. Can I ask you a really uncomfortable question, Kim? Because I, I, I want, like, I wanted to start with it, and I went, mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warm her up a little. <laughs> okay. It's about sex. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you do sexy time when your spouse is a world away in a combat zone? How does sexy time happen? Uh, well, sexy time doesn't so much happen in a combat zone. Um, I'm sure that it's uh, it happens in some way for them, uh, not with each other, but by themselves, um, <laughs> and not with Elton John. There's a lot of socks <laughs> on John. window or on doors. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, porta potties, that kind of thing. Um, oh. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not the closest thing. Sorry. Yeah. See, I don't have a lot of a filter. You open this up. Um, and uh, <laughs> no, you go. When um, I, everybody kind of does it differently, I think. Like you know how their own comfort level. Whether it's, I joke that I have a Snapchat, and my husband is literally the only other person on that Snapchat. Like he's my only friend. <laughs> you better hope um, the kids don't get a hold of it. <laughs> well. <laughs> He's my only friend on Snapchat, and that is, like, if people ask me, like, well, do you have Snapchat for the blog? And I'm like, oh, absolutely not, because definitely I would accidentally send something to the wrong to the wrong friend. So he is the only person on my Snapchat, and that way there is no chance that I will accidentally send anyone else anything that I am snapping on there. Um, like, do you have a course, frequent Snapchat. flyer card for the Adult Fun Superstore? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you just use, you know, a lot of batteries. And, yeah, but it, how do you it, do it, that with three kids what? at home and no one to distract them? <laughs> Doors lock, my friends. Like, they, that's the thing that, honestly, like, when the kids are that little, I mean, you have kids. When your kids are that little, even, I don't know this for from experience, but I'm assuming that even if your husband is there, you're not all that interested in general when they're like babies and toddlers, like you're willing to kind of give that. I don't know. I, it wasn't as big of a deal when my kids were, were little. I went through definitely a, the same phase as I think a lot of young moms do where you're like, yeah, I'm touched all day. Thanks. Like, yeah, it's, it's I'm called good. exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know what? Like I've been pawed at all day. Yeah. I'm not really interested in whatever it is you've got going on over there. Um, so but I mean, yeah, I, you you come up with a creative. Uh, we joke that you know they always have those things where it's like love letters written overseas, and I'm like, yeah, we would definitely have to go through that box <laughs> and make sure before my. Yeah, I love the Snapchat angle. That's actually quite brilliant when I think about it, because you send the video and then it disappears, gone forever. 
That's that's brilliant. Yeah, so it's much better than like I like than like texting or something where you know it could get saved to your phone or like and your buddies are uh, gonna get a hold of your phone and yeah, like I don't yeah you know what I, how other every spouse I think handles the whole uh, intimacy moments when they're gone I think just entirely depends on you know their own comfort level. Uh, we send a lot of uh, Snapchat now that it exists and and before that. I don't know. Please tell me you didn't try the satellite phone call. (laughs) No. Just wait for me. There's like 10 people in line behind them to use the phone. (laughs) If you tried one of those, they'd be like, dude, yeah. yeah." (laughs) This is a communal phone. Go wash your hands. Yeah. (laughs) You can't take this to the bathroom. Like, this isn't it. Yeah, no. Well, times have changed for the better, thank God. It's funny that, you know, you talk about going, you know, you have these long droughts, obviously, these long sexual droughts. Uh, My husband isn't in the military. And I can still oh, relate. Oh no! Here we go. <laughs> Sorry, I, I if it, it's not a podcast unless I talk about how I'm not getting late either. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just think that everybody goes through different. Like people ask, like, and it depends on the woman. Like, no woman with like three toddlers has ever been like, "Oh, how do you go without sex?" Like, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> got, like, a newborn, and two, they're never like, "Oh, but the sex," like, never ever. <laughs> but true. I mean, the younger girls that haven't had kids yet, and then the older right. you know, ladies that their kids are older, they're the ones that might ask that question. But you never see that woman with like you know, three kids in car seats being like, oh, I couldn't go without sex that long. Like, she is not caring about that. (laughs) It's a weird thing. Like, even I, I live a a little bit away from my boyfriend. We only see each other on weekends. And sometimes it's nice to have those little reunions. It keeps things kind of fresh. Mm -hmm. You know what, we, um, he's been home for stretches before. I mean, last two years ago, I don't remember what it was. There was a time recently where he was home for like, I think he only left for less than a month out of the whole year. It was a very long time that he was home. And, uh, yeah, it, you, you look at it and you're like, you know, you need to go somewhere so that I can miss you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll just be so much happier when you come back. <laughs> yes. Is there nowhere out there that needs saving right now? Because uh, you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> I Yeah, you... You don't have to like them that much if they're gone that much, is what I tell him. But yeah. do you get this idea that he's like some sort of Superman or like in your head while he's <laughs> off, and then when he comes home and he's just like the average guy locking himself yeah. in the bathroom with his cell phone to get away oh, from the goodness. family? You're like, ugh. So like forty minutes in the bathroom, and you're like, dude, like nothing takes that long. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, you know, and we have friends that do. You know, my husband is a is a combat trade, so I mean. Um, you do get that kind of vision in your head. I told him that, you know, when he's been in Afghanistan, like, I don't know what war looks like. Like, in my head, it's like a cross between, like, MASH and Band of Brothers or something. He's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not that exciting. But, um, yeah, I think that when they're gone, they're, you know, everybody has the perfect husband when they're at war, you know, like, everybody's um, everybody's husband is wonderful while they're gone because you just miss them and think about all the things that was good about the relationship. Nobody's sitting at home missing their husband thinking about, you know, all the times they didn't do something that you needed them to do or all the times they, you know, didn't do the dishwasher or whatever it happens to be. You're sitting at home thinking about all the sweet things that they did. So you have a perfect husband for six or eight months and then they come home and, you know, track their mud all over the place and leave their army crap all over the house. And <laughs> Do you feel crappy when you complain because um, you know what they've been through, and then they, y- you are just complaining about regular everyday stuff. Little things. Um, that was kind of the biggest hurdle for 
kind of the deployments in Afghanistan. I think that sometimes we get this, you know, mindset that every, you know, soldiers, every soldier is living this, you know, crazy combat filled, terrifying life while they're deployed. Um, which I mean, certainly isn't the case. I think it's like less than 20% of soldiers have seen combat, even if they've been deployed. Um, but also that every time they're gone, that this is happening. Like a lot of the times when my husband goes somewhere, he's like, like right now he's at training in Wainwright. He's dirty and cold and probably like wet because the snow keeps like falling and then melting and then whatever. I mean, I wouldn't want to be him right now. Um, but it's not like he's, you know, living generation kill in Iraq or something. Um I do sometimes, I mean, when he was came home from Afghanistan, there was a lot of just, you know, walking on eggshells. You don't know what they're going to be like. Right now, the media is really talking a lot about PTSD, and there's that concern that every time they come back, that, you know, they're just this powder keg that's waiting to go off. Um, but at the same time, um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> like, my life uh, doing what I had to do, you know, um, isn't... It, Sometimes you like single moms do the same thing, but harder because they have to worry about, you know, providing for their children and they don't have something to look forward to with the reunions and stuff like that. So it's certainly not that uh, military spouses are the only people trying to hold down the fort with the kids by themselves. Um, but you do definitely get to a point where once they get back, you're like, no, I think I think you're good. And especially if he was like staying in a hotel in France, then I will purposely like leave all the laundry in the dryer and the dishwasher full because he can deal with that. Like, that's right. Passive aggressive <laughs> wifing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super. <laughs> what is the name of your website and where can we find you on social media for other military spouses who are listening right now and want to reach out? Um, so she is fierce.net. Uh, is the website that I kind of keep updated. Um, and then She is Fierce is the uh, Facebook link. Um, I also uh, write military romance novels. <laughs> um, and they So that's how you keep it spicy. <laughs> <laughs> There's the sexy times right there. They're much more romantic on paper. Um, yeah, and they could be found on the same website. I actually have the third one is coming out next month. Kim, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, you know, I want to thank your husband for his service. And I think uh, you really shined a light on the sacrifice that not only he makes when he goes off and does his tour of duty and training and all of that stuff, but the sacrifice that military spouses make as well. Thank you. This episode is over, but the conversation doesn't have to be. Follow Hillary and Sandra on social. Instagram at Hillary on Air at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter at Hillary Welch at Sandra Kiss 105.3. And on Facebook at Quick and Dirty Podcast. Got a question? Email Hillary and Sandra, the quick and the dirty at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can download the podcast each week to your mobile device to listen offline. Find the quick and the dirty on FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcasts.